and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson. I'm joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat beat writer here at the Herald. Anthony, how's it going? Pretty good, David. How are you? Doing all right. It's just us two for the first time in a, in a couple of weeks. No, feels lonely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So we, we kind of have a little, not, a, not too much news to get to, but we're going to try to make this fun. Um, we're going to start off by kind of hitting on the news, though. Um, in the second half of this, uh, we are inspired by the Last Dance documentary. We're going to pitch some Heat documentaries, some Miami basketball documentaries. So uh, we'll get to that in the second half. Um, but let's start with the news that it's kind of just like feels like every day there's like some minor update, even if it's just like we're pushing this back a day or we're waiting a day to make a decision. And that is the state of uh, – Facilities opening for the Heat. Um, originally, it looked like uh, – I don't even know if it was originally. I guess originally it was supposed to be this week, right? And then they pushed it back to Monday, and now uh, – Yeah, Friday. Yeah, yeah, it was originally supposed to be – we're recording this on Thursday. It was originally supposed to be Friday. They pushed mm-hmm. it back to Monday, and now it looks like it might get pushed back again, right? Yeah. Um, the Associated Press, Tim Reynolds, friend of the podcast, um, reported that uh, – uh, Wednesday, Wednesday now is the target date for the heat. Um, so it just, yeah, it, it seems like, and that's at the earliest, like when, you know, when it was pushed back to Monday, I was, it was emphasized to me Monday at the earliest. So Wednesday is not surprising because Monday was the earliest day it could open. That was the hope it would open that day, but it, it, I guess it's not. Um, so would I be surprised if it gets pushed back again? No, I think, you know, the heat are, last I heard they were still finalizing their plan on how to kind of do this thing. There's a lot of rules that need to be, they need to be followed four players at a time. They're going to need to stagger workouts. Um, it came out yesterday. Even at, at first there were no assistant coaches allowed to participate or supervise workouts. Now teams can choose up to six, a combination of six assistant coaches, player development co- coaches um, to supervise. So now that's a change. Um, so, I, you know, the NBA is still working things out. It looks like the heater still working things out. It's a complex, complicated situation. It's not simple. So uh, it looks like Wednesday now, but you know, for all we know, it could be pushed back again. And a lot, and, and really, I mean, a lot of teams are not opening up Wednesday. I think the New York Times had yesterday that there were three teams um, that planned to open on the first day on Friday. I think it was Cleveland, Denver, and Portland. I think those are the three teams. Um, as of right now, the rest of the NBA was not, you know, didn't have a plan to open on Friday. People, are, you know, teams are waiting. So. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this develops. Yeah, I mean, it's also worth noting, like, not all the guys are around here, right? I think I think most of the team is in Miami, but, like, Jimmy's on the West Coast. Like, yeah. he's not getting over here, right? And if he does, I assume there's still – I don't even know if there's still, like, the laws where you have to uh, quarantine for 14 days coming into Florida. But, um, yeah, there's – it's it's going to be, you know, it's a step, obviously, and, and I'm sure, like, the guys are going to love it. Like, the fact that they can, even if they can't, like, do a, a normal workout, they can at least be around their teammates for the first time in a long time. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a step, right? And there's going to be a lot of yeah. steps along the way between now and whenever games start again. And, and this is just, it really is the first step, I guess. Yeah, I, I think Ramona Shelbourne uh, from ESPN had a really good quote that she tweeted out yesterday that I think sums it up perfectly. She tweeted yesterday evening, she said, on the issue of reopening NBA practice facilities, one GM said, 
this is by no means ramping up towards something. It's more about mental health than anything at this point. And I think that's so true. I, I mean, I don't think this is a sign that, you know, team practices are near, you know, I don't think this is a sign that the season's going to be saved. Yeah, it's a, it's a small step, you know, but I think more than anything, the reason they're doing this is because players are antsy and they're finding ways, I think it's no secret that they're finding ways to work out in gyms that really should not be open, like secret workouts. Right. The NBA's way, like we talked about with Tim last week or a few weeks ago, Tim, Tim Reynolds, um, this is a way for the NBA to say, okay, you guys want to work out? Here's a place we could kind of supervise you. We know it's clean. We know you have, we have to, you have to follow the rules. Um, this is their way of their response to all that. So I think more than anything, this is why practice facilities are opening, not because, you know, teams are going to start practicing in two weeks. Like, I, I don't know if that, you know, that might be the case, but I don't know if that, you know, this is not something that, that should, that you should take as, okay, this is, this is going trending toward the season's going to be saved. Yeah. So it, you you've obviously written a little bit more about this. What what do you kind of expect for whenever the Heat get in there? We you think there are gonna be a lot of guys there? You think they're well, you know obviously the the what they can actually do is limited. What what are, what are those days gonna maybe look like uh, I mean, at the practice facility for the first you know couple of weeks until maybe they start actually ramping up towards something? Guys are eager, you know, to get back in the gym. You see that on social media. You see that you know through through the videos they're putting out through different interviews guys are eager to start playing a lot of the heat players live in condos in miami so they're not even though jimmy butler sent them baskets they're not able to use it um so i think they're going to take advantage you know um if the nba gives them the chance to do it they're i think a lot of them are going to take advantage i talked to you donis on the phone yesterday on wednesday we're recording this thursday like you said um and Udonis said that he's he, he joked that he said that bam better be the first one there just because of all the all the stuff he's been posting on Twitter about being bored. He said he told Bam that he better be the first one there. And if he can make four of himself, that he better be the first four people there. That he doesn't want to hear an excuse. So, but I asked, I asked you, Donna said, is there, you know, there's only four people at a time. Like, have you guys come up with a plan to kind of stagger workouts? Like, are you guys on a group text to say, okay, I'm going at this time. But he's, he's like, no, we really haven't talked about it collectively. We still have to discuss, but that's going to be something to work out. Like, guys can't just go to the gym whenever they want. You know, it's going to be it, – it, they're going to have to schedule the workouts. Um, they're going to have to obviously stagger. Coaches are – they have to let coaches know so they're in the facility. Um, you know, there's no – I don't think there's any – like, guys can't take showers in the locker room. Like, it's literally go, go into the gym, get your workout, and leave. Um, so it's going to be different. But I think guys will take advantage. You also talked to Mayor Jimenez this week. Um, let's take a quick listen to what he had to say. Just had a conversation uh, this uh, this morning with Eric Woolworth mm-hmm. of the Heat, and he kind of went through what this, the uh, NBA and what they were thinking about and how they were going to induct. Everything that he said seemed very reasonable. So I, I, I foresee no no big issue in in, um, in not allowing them to to go ahead and open. I think I want to do that. Certainly want to do that, mm-hmm. and uh, again make sure it's safe. And I think that what uh, the steps are taking are very reasonable. Again, I don't see I don't foresee a problem. I don't see it. I don't see that mm-hmm. being really realistic. I see, I see empty stadiums, or I see um, sparse stadiums. Let's put it that way. Right. Okay. Um, and um, because there is no antiviral, and there is no no, uh, there's no vaccine. You know. So as long as that's the case, and then if we think that 
the virus is as deadly and also we think that the virus is as is as communicable as we do right now it's it's going to be uh it's going to be very hard to do that what were kind of your biggest takeaways from talking to him i think it was exactly that clip um you know we we had an 11 minute conversation um but the biggest takeaway the you know the kind of i think the news of it and while not totally surprising is the fact that he said it's unlikely that there will be um, full or even close to full stadiums, arenas in Miami-Dade, um, maybe for the rest of 2020. Um, again, we, I don't think any of us expected a sold-out stadium in September or October, but, you know, some type of, you know, maybe 75% capacity, maybe. I mean, I, that hadn't been ruled out, but he said, uh, you know, I see – I think his quote, which you heard, was, I see empty stadiums or maybe even maybe sparse stadiums. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't remember what day you talked to him, but it is notable that like right around the same time, I don't know if it was like the day before, but the dolphins put out that plan um, of like how they're going to put what 15,000 in, in hard rock stadium. Like, so they're. Yes. It seemed like like the dolphins were planning for like every type of scenario, like 15,000 half percent capacity sold out state. Like they even plan for sold out, which, you know, again, is very unlikely. You know, so I think, yeah, I think you're, to your point, I think the teams are preparing for every possibility, but I think it's looking more and more likely, as Mayor Jimenez said, that it's going to be either empty stadiums or very little fans allowed. Um, and, you know, and, and he, he couches stadium by saying, unless there's a major breakthrough, like, you know, there's an antiviral or there's a vaccine, um, that could change things. But but other than that, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to get fans in, in stadiums. Yeah, and like you said, it's not entirely unexpected, um, or not unexpected at all. But um, it is, you know, I, in Florida, we have not been. I, I think you know, the, some of the leaders here have not been as like conservative about this. Like they've been more been like you know optimistic, I guess. And, and this is maybe the the kind of big most clear reality check we've had of like where we're actually going to be. Like it's really hard to see fans more than, you know, maybe, maybe somehow we get to that Dolphins plan of like, I don't know what percentage capacity that would be, but like 15% capacity basically, or 20% capacity. Um, but realistically, I mean, it's going to be really hard to have fans anywhere, I think in 2020. Um, and, you know, again, like the NBA or whatever, you know, when they come back, if they come back to finish the season, like we said, like they're not even going to be in home locations in all likelihood. Like that, that's been the plan we've talked about more than anything else on this is, is the idea of playing in a, some sort of neutral site bubble environment. So um, yeah, I don't know if that kind of prediction affects the NBA very much, but I guess it, it affects next season potentially, you know, even if it, they don't start until December. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I wonder, something I wonder about this, and this is just me, like, thinking out loud, um, if it gets to the point where they're like, okay, you can, you can operate at one, you know, 15% capacity. Like, is it even worth it, you know, at that point? Like, I know fans want to be in games and stuff, but to even take the risk of allowing, whatever, 15,000 people at Hard Rock or, you know, 4,000 people at American Airlines Arena, like, is that even worth it? Like, to have play a game in that environment where you have just, like, you know, 50 people per section like that's gonna look so weird and really i mean the bit the financial aspect of it yeah you're making some extra money but how much money are you really making you're gonna have to 
staff the arena you're gonna have you know the expenses of operating the arena with fans in there like how much are you really making so i know to me again this is me thinking a lot if you if you are not going to have even like 50 percent capacity or 75 percent capacity i just think it might just be there say we just play without fans you know until we can get this thing right and we know that there's something out there that like an antiviral or or a vaccine that can if you get it you know you, you could take that and, and and it could help you help you um help you get better so i don't know that's i know what you think about that but i just to me i just think if if it's if it's they're only gonna allow 15 20 percent i think it might be just no fans until until they're they feel confident enough to really do it full go yeah yeah i mean i think if you get to a certain percentage of fans it becomes worth it but that if we're capping at 25 percent, i kind of agree with you like if we can get up to 50 somehow and i don't know how you know uh, what sort of where we would need to be for that to happen then you know, I think once you get that, like, you know, a lot of games only have 50% fans. Like, but if you're stuck at 20% or whatever, then I, I say think. The, say, the team, right. say the team, David. Say the, I'm not going to let you go without saying the team. What's the Like local half team? the NBA. <laughs> half the, how about locally, though? How about locally? Locally, uh, well, the Marlins and Heat games in the yeah. first quarter. That's true. That's a good point. Heat games in the first quarter. And I guess hurricane games sometimes. Hurricane games, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those noon games. Those noon are, games, yeah. That's that's yeah. not fifty percent. Yeah, and, and like they're you know they've lost two in a row and they're playing like you know I don't know. Yeah, a lot of the teams. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Right. 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 So yeah. We've talked about the Michael Jordan documentary a lot the last couple of weeks on here. Uh, this week we don't really have any great insight on it. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. We had John Crotty talk about his experience with Michael Jordan. You know, we've, we've had some Heat characters pop up, whether it's Pat or uh, Ron Rothstein that we talked a little bit about. This week was not, not a whole lot of Heat ties, but, but we still are in the documentary mood. Um, so this week, uh, we're going to pitch our Heat documentaries. We, uh, everyone, you know, we, it's not just this Last Dance documentary, but um, I don't remember if it was this week or maybe last week, Dwayne Wade said he's producing a 2008 uh, Redeem Team documentary, which um, you know could be a little bit of a Heat origin story itself, is that's kind of where the uh, idea of uh, the big three first popped up with Wade, LeBron, and uh, Bosch all playing together in China, right? That was Beijing, I think, 2008. Um, yeah. So... So we're in the documentary mood. You know, if, if, you know, if we don't have sports, people are going to be talking about these things. They're going to want to talk about these things. They're going to hope for some of these things. Uh, you know, who knows if we're going to see a little sports documentary boom. So I've got like three or four ideas written out here uh, for heat documentaries I would like to see. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, I can give you one. Just off the top okay. of my head. Um, I think that, you know, this is probably going to be an, an easy one, a clear one, but for me, like the angle is different than probably what you would expect. That 2005, 2016 team that won the first championship, obviously, you know, I'm sure there's a documentary out there about their title run chronicling that, but I want to know like the behind the scenes of that team, because there are so many personalities, you know, there's been stories about how hard they partied like Shaq one time, I think went into Pat's office and told him, look, we start practice later. Like guys are just too tired. Like we've been out until 5am, like just stuff like that where, so many, like Gary Payton, Shaq, Antoine Walker, James Posey, you know, a young Dwayne Wade, a young Udonis Haslam, Jason Williams. Like, there were so many um, big personalities that I think that'd be a fun documentary. 
Yeah, one one idea I had written out was just Shaq, like the Shaq in yeah. Miami experience. Because um, obviously that was, you know, you could argue that's the single biggest turning point for the franchise, right, is getting Shaq. Like that was – that made Miami kind of the destination. Um, you know, he was very very much like at the height of his fame pretty much, right? Like or maybe yeah. right after his, his peak, like – um, and what you were saying with like their the famous how famous they were party. I just want to hear the stories of Shaq in Miami, <laughs> you know that that brief period. Um, and then obviously it, like you were saying, it, it also is the the first championship. So so there's some historical significance there too, rather than just uh, people talking about Shaq. But I'm not I'm not interested in the historical significance though. Give yeah. me the give me the good stuff. Well, Shaq really is a, he's a player that I think you know. I think we're obvi- we obviously have this 10-part Jordan documentary. It seems like we're going to get a Kobe documentary of some sort at some point. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be 10 episodes, but if you're talking about individual players who could have big multi-part documentary series, I think Shaq is one. Like the whole, yeah. the whole Shaq story from, you know, when he was at LSU through obviously the Laker days where they were, you know, sort of the most famous team since, you know, Jordan, I guess, in, in that early 2000s. Um, and then, you know, and then he's obviously got like all the, all, like he's a character, right? He's got all the off field yeah. stuff or off court yeah. stuff, um, you know, acting and, and then, you know, coming to Miami and winning championships. And, um, you know, he's also kind of the last of his breed as, as like that sort of big man. Um, so he's, he's a guy that I would love to have like a, a very in-depth look at, uh, the life and times of Shaq. Yeah, no, I, I think that'd be a good one. And, on, a, on a somewhat related note, uh, yeah. I have one. I don't really have an idea for what it would be, but I think like just a like a maybe it's just a one episode. Maybe it's a short um, a documentary of the Miami Heat home court advantage with like Live and all that kind of stuff. Like the stories of what the some of these NBA oh, wow. players coming through Live and, and the other clubs. Maybe it's like just lid. Maybe you just see if they have a bunch of security footage you can like staple together <laughs> and and get the the world's best behind the scenes documentary. I feel like privacy laws might come into play there, but I yeah, but I like that idea a lot. I like that idea. Um. All right. Uh. My number uh, one, actually, not my number one. I'm going to save my number one pick for the end. Um. But one of my favorites was, um. The Udonis story, but not just the Udonis story, the way that he – it's kind of a way to, to talk about Udonis and the history of the Heat since he was, you know, born in the 80s. Um, yeah. You know, what, five, six years, something like that, before the team was founded. I think – yeah, he was born in 80. Team debut season was in 88. So, I think kind of – and obviously he's, he's from – you know, he, he know you know, the, the first arena was in Overtown. Like, he knows the area. He, he could kind of tell you how it affected the area growing up. Um, and then another one, I just a documentary about that Miami High team with him, Steve Blake, and um, coached by Frank Martin. Like, there, that's got to be – Yeah, it's fun. A, uh, there's got to be some incredible stories from that too. Yeah, for sure. But I for like sure. the idea of Udonis – Basically, the like, story and how it mirrors yeah. the heat, because obviously, you know, he is probably the ultimate heat lifer. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good one. The, mine are like you have really good ideas. Mine are kind of just for the fun of it. 
my, I mean, one that I had, aside from obviously, I think the obvious one is the big three. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, think I, was, I almost even said just like, we're not going to do the big three. Like, it's too obvious. Yeah, aside from the big three. Yeah, it's so obvious, right? So I, I think, I, honest, I, I know really, I think only Miami would care about this, this documentary, but that 30 and 11 finish to that season, um, after starting 11 and 30, which is like the, like the biggest NBA turnaround in, his, in, in league history, you know, after starting a, after being what, 19 games under 500, um, they didn't make the playoffs. But that was an interesting run, and it was a historic run. I mean, yeah, no other ever done that. So I think that would be interesting to kind of see what shifted, what changed. Um, another one for me, and this is just me selfishly, kind of wanting to see how this season unfolded because I think there's still a lot of questions unanswered about how it kind of went. Um, Deion Waiters' final season with the Heat. I don't think that will ever be made, but I think there are so many events that happened that year. Um, you know, some in the media that, that we know, um, but I think that would be interesting as well. You know, Dion's an interesting personality. He talked about the mental health issues before the season even started, like just kind of how he was yeah. depressed for the year and going through that injury. And then, then obviously the season didn't go his way. Um, he had the, fly, the the incident on the, on the plane and then he didn't play and then he got traded. Like, I think that kind of that story of what actually happened that season that kind of led him to that point might be interesting. It might be educational too. Like that's a tough experience for anyone to go through. So um, I think that would be a good one. Um, yeah. Those are the two, you know, and you know, the way, the way documentary would be great, like Wade's final year, but again, we just saw that. So yeah. uh, that was made. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the uh, 30 and 11, maybe you could mash it up with the Dion story. Cause one of the interesting things obviously about that yeah. 30, 11, yeah. 30 and 11 team was that for a lot of the guys on that team, their heat tenure did not end well. Right. Like, yeah. Between Dion and Whiteside. I mean, Dion obviously James. kind of has the, like you were saying, I think you could learn a lot from it, the mental health aspect of it. Like he has the, I think sort of most insightful story if you, if you looked at it the right way, but, but just that whole, you know, that was obviously, it was kind of like the rise and fall of Dion, right? The rise was that, that 30 and 11 where he gets the big contract, he's hitting game winners. Um, and then obviously the injury comes right after that. And, uh, then it gets a little darker um, and it's maybe something you can learn from. Um, my next one I have written down is uh, the Roni Cycley story. Can just be one episode, just just an hour long documentary um, about his playing career. Obviously, like tracing it from the beginning, um, and then also now he's a, a DJ. So yeah, that's a good one. I think uh, yeah, and he's obviously like kind of part of. Yeah, I, I think you could largely just do a good documentary about the international players in the NBA, um, mm-hmm. and he's obviously kind of like pretty early-ish in that movement, right? Like, he's right around, I guess it's like him and what year he got drafted in 84. So that's like, he came in right around the same time as like Vladi and Kuka. Like kind of, there's a whole group of guys that kind of came over all around the same time. Um, and he's, he's pretty early on that. So I think just that, you know, what was basketball like, um, you know, overseas when he was growing up and then, um, you know, he was a great college player, obviously, for Syracuse. And then the first – was he the first first-round pick in franchise history or second? I can't remember. I think he – no, I think he was the first. I think he was the first. Yeah, so then obviously, you know, he's kind of the Heat's franchise player for those early days, and now he's like 
and then he becomes a DJ, which is like the most perfect Miami career trajectory, right? Yeah, the most Miami like evolution, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, another one that I think is, um, you know, kind of joking here, but I think it'd be funny is uh, Mario Chalmers documentary, just on his uh, on his confidence, his like playing with LeBron, playing with Dwayne, playing with Chris Bosh, and still thinking he's the best player on the team, being scolded by them like all the time in games. I don't know if you remember that because I know you weren't down here yeah, at the time. Yeah, I know. He was like a punchline. Mario Chalmers was like. Yeah, he was a punching bag for like Punch, yeah, punching like, bag. Literally in the middle. Put it. They, they were just like, like he be yelling at him for like 15, 20 seconds on TV. Like you could just see it, and it's like almost it was like a regular thing, and he would just take it because he thought he was better than all of them. So I think that would be a funny documentary. Yeah, I think we can um, sell this to like Kansas Athletics because obviously the whole thing starts with him hitting the the buzzer beater in the national championship right like that has to be where a huge amount of his confidence comes from for sure kansas and then also miami because he's like uh he's like a fan favorite yeah he is i think just people really love i mean it was like one of those things where like sometimes in games you'd be upset because if you do something that you're like what are you doing mario but for the most part he was he was really a fan favorite people yeah we went back and watched that 2013 game six and he's like the best player on the court for miami in the first half like He's a yeah, legitimately no, he was, was very important player too. It's not like he was just like a no a joke. Starting point guard on championship on two championship teams. So yeah, I mean he's one of the best point guards in history. I think I don't I don't think it's crazy to say that. Yeah. Um, another one I have kind of like in my live category of like I don't know what this actually is, but could be interesting is um, I, it really feels like more of an LA story because most of the guys are out in LA, but. There are guys who come to Miami in the summer, off season two and just kind of, you know, how Miami became like this basketball um, hotbed where, where guys kind of like spend their off season. Yeah. You know, it's kind of an obvious story of like how, but I also just think the idea of, of – and like I said, it's probably better suited to L.A. where I think like 80% of the league goes as opposed to Miami where it's maybe like 10% of the league is here in the off season. Um, but just the idea of all these – guys kind of living in one place playing pickup games and um you know how that obviously i think has come to define the league in a lot of ways where these guys all know each other and and are all friends and you know it's different obviously than it was probably 15 years ago where guys were kind of scattered all over the place um my number one pick though is the pat riley documentary yeah that's like that is that is the ultimate one where that could be not just ten parts. That could be like five seasons. Are you talking about just the heat stuff, or, no, or just every, the whole like, Pat Riley story? The whole Pat Riley story. Yeah, that'd be. That'd so be they crazy. are. I mean, I know there was a. Uh, I don't know what the status of this is, but HBO is supposed to be making a Showtime Lakers TV show, like not a documentary, actually a TV show. Um. But so obviously that's a huge, like, Pat story. Um, right. And then obviously he goes to New York, but not just that, like in college, he played for Adolph Rupp at Kentucky and he was in the Texas Western national championship game. Like he is just the, he's one of the guys that like, if you were, let's say you want to do a a documentary about the history of basketball and you wanted to focus on one person and have them sort of, you know, like almost the Forrest Gump, of basketball like that could be pat because he's just been around for um 
you know, like I said, he was there for the Texas Western game. And then he, you know, coaches the Showtime Lakers. And then he is kind of a foil for Michael Jordan for a lot of Michael Jordan's run, both in New York. And then um, I guess in Miami, right. He's, he's there. Yeah, for the, the one year. Yeah. The one year where they go to the Eastern conference finals. And then obviously he sticks in Miami and um, he's there for the big three, which is like, you know, if you look at the defining team from each decade, pretty much, except the, and even honestly the 2000s, because the defining team of the 2000s is is the Lakers, and obviously he deals for for Shaq to end that team yeah. run. Um, but you know, the 90s he's there for the Bulls, 70s he's there for for the Lakers, um, and then I guess into the 80s with them, um, and obviously going up against the Celtics, and then in the 2010s he's there for. Uh, the big three heat. He puts the big three heat together. So I, you know, you could, I would watch like a 50 episodes on Pat and sort of use him as the the entry point to talk about basketball as a whole from the last 50, 60 years, really. Yeah, that's a good one. I, one I was thinking of too, that probably could be part of the Pat Riley documentaries, just why nobody leaves the heat. Like as far as employees in general, like there's so many people that work for the organization Mm -hmm. that, have worked there from day one, whether it's broadcasters like Eric Reed and, you know, Tony Ferentino, who used to be a color commentator, but he was an assistant coach when the organization started. And even like, you know, the Heat's PR guys, like like Tim Donovan, who is who's the head of the public relations department for the Heat, he got hired by Pat in 1995 and he hasn't left. Like people are so loyal to to uh, to Pat. It's, it's almost like, you know, people make the comparison – the godfather you know it's kind of like that where like once you're in like you don't really leave so i think that's another interesting one too and yeah, I mean, you, like, you definitely want Andrew. pacino playing old pat right oh yeah for sure there's no doubt i don't like, know who plays old... young pat maybe you do that uh irishman technology where they make him younger and just have pacino play him the whole way but pacino old playing. pat you are like pacino pretty much <laughs> for sure for sure no i think i think that would be a really good i think that's a good idea david like there's so many ways you can go with that and Really, like you said, it could be an entryway into telling the story of basketball. Like he's been a so a part of so much in so many different eras that it's a really good way of just like telling a really interesting story, but also going over the you know the history of the game. Yeah, here's here's a fun fact. I'm reading Pat's Wikipedia page right now. Linton High School. He played at Linton High School in Schenectady, New York. Linton High School's 74-68 win against New York's Power Memorial on December 29, 1961 is remembered mostly for its two stars, Power Memorial's Lou Alcindor and Pat Riley. So he played wow. against Lou Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem, in that's crazy. high school. Like, he's just that's been around nice. for everything. Yeah, that's no, he's, yeah, he's had a hand in a lot. So, and he's such a good, like, interesting personality, and he's such a good, like, quote that he – that documentary would be, like, amazing to watch, yeah. like, so entertaining. Um, and it's probably so much stuff we don't even know about, you know, like his backstory growing up. I know there's some that have written, written about that, but kind of, um, you know, he had a tough childhood. Um, you know, people see Pat Riley as the Armani suit, you know, the slick back hair. Um, but he was a really, he had a really tough childhood and he had to work hard to get to where he was. So I, I think, yeah, I think that'd be a really good one. Yeah. Maybe we should uh, delete these last seven minutes and, and make this ourselves. Yeah, we should. Yeah, I think we should save this and pitch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, do you have anything else? 
have we gone through all your um no i'm i mean i you know i think i feel like every week we come back in or like is the nba gonna start again and that type of thing and that's really the big storyline right now around the heat and the nba i don't you know i think there's been progress made um but i don't think we know yet if the season's gonna be saved you know i i think i don't think anybody really knows i think a lot of it depends on what, on, you know, how, what developments happen over the next few weeks. But I do think that they're going to have to make a decision soon. Um, because as we've talked about, once Adam Silver makes a decision, he says, okay, we're going to bring back, we're going to save the season, we're going to start play. It's going to be five to six weeks probably before you can even play the first game. So, you know, if you're going to, if you announce that in mid-May, it might be July until you could start. So I think, you know, it's May 7th right now. I, you know, I think over the next two weeks, we might have to have, some type of decision from Adam Silver and what they're going to do. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something at some point soon. Yeah, it feels like we need an update sometime soon, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, even if sure. it's just, uh, like, we're, like, we have a couple of plans in mind. Like, we're trying to figure out what might work. And I right. think all along they said May yeah, was going to be, like, there, there was not going to be an update until May, right? Yeah, May was the earliest an update would come. And, and even, maybe it's even like we're going to move forward with practice and we're going to see how it goes. And then we'll give another update in the week to see if we want to move forward another week. Like, it might be a gradual thing, but I think there's going to have to be some type of um, announcement of, like, okay, we're going to move in this direction. You know, I, I think that has to be made at some point. I wouldn't be surprised if it's by next week when we go on, you know, record another podcast, we know a little more. I think Adam Silver is having a – it was reported by ESPN, I believe, that Adam Silver is going to have a conversation with the players and the players' union on Friday to kind of update them on things. So we'll see what comes out of that. But at this point, I think we're we're just waiting. You know, I think it's going to be soon where we know at least what what path the NBA wants to take here. Yeah, feels like uh, an NBA inside the NBA interview coming in the next couple. Of oh yeah, for sure with Ernie Johnson, definitely. Yeah. All right, uh, let's wrap it there then. Um, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. Uh, are you working on anything? I guess you check out Anthony, uh, like we said, talk to Mayor Jimenez, so he's got the full kind of rundown of what he said. Um, do you have anything else or mostly just monitoring this? Uh... Well, aside from monitoring this, I, I did, I'm, you know, I don't know when this might be posted later on Thursday or Friday, but um, I'm going to, post something soon with a conversation I had in Udonis about, you know, his retirement decision, you know, what, how this kind of changes things for him, like not knowing if he's going to be saved or lost. Um, Udonis talked about why he loves Miami so much, like different stuff like that. I talked about, you know, the BAM, he joking about BAM being first to facility. This, I had a conversation with Udonis that I think was pretty entertaining, pretty interesting. And uh, that should be up later on Thursday. And you can follow me on Twitter at DB Wilson too. Uh, there was a lot of Don Shula stuff this week um, that yeah. definitely occupied, I think, all of us, right? Yeah, definitely. M- more so you than me, but I even I had to write a couple um, Don Shula stories just because he, his impact spread across the entire, you know, Miami sports landscape, it, it, you know, extended so far. Yeah, um, I'm sure you guys have already read most of that stuff, but be sure to check out uh, all of our power, or all of our Don Shula coverage because uh, that was really good from from all angles. Um, until next week, though, uh, I'll talk to you next week, Anthony. See you, David. <laughs> <laughs>